helping people cope with and overcome life's challenges. This is Life Transformations with Michael Hart, Canadian Certified Counselor and Award-Winning Psychotherapist. I want to thank you for joining us on this episode of the Life Transformation Show. Today's show is titled, Seven Traits of Narcissistic Leaders. And I will be drawing from the biblical text in 1 Kings 21, verse 7 to 10, as I discuss this very important topic. Let me say that this show was not meant to be a diagnosis of anyone. We're just providing general information. But if you're in a setting where you have identified several of these traits, it's important for you to get uh, help to to see if you're dealing with someone who is narcissistic, because narcissism takes a great toll on people who have to work in those environments. Let me also say that this show was not meant to demonize any of the wonderful pastors that we have here in Ottawa, because I know that there are pastors throughout the city that I work with who are doing great things for their congregation. But like in every profession, we have those who give the profession a bad name. And so uh, there are people who are suffering on the leadership of narcissistic part. Uh, narcissistic pastors in our city, just like and elsewhere in in the country and in the world. So, what is narcissism? Narcissism is one of the ten personality disorders. It refers to people who have a sense of grandiosity, who is self-centered, and who has a general lack of empathy towards others. About 5% of the general population suffers from this disorder, according to some experts. And it is believed that leadership, including church leadership, attracts narcissists because they need admiration and they like the power that comes with narcissists. So the percentage of narcissists in church circles and in other leadership capacities is much higher. Uh, McIntosh, Gary L. McIntosh in the book Overcoming the Dark Side of Leadership made some very interesting comments. Uh, McIntosh says, and I, and I quote, because ministry provides the ready justification that grandiose visions and risky ventures are necessary to accomplish God's kingdom work, the church and the Christian organizations provide fertile soil for budding narcissists. Tragically, because many followers of the narcissistic leader think all this activity is being done for God, they feel uncomfortable challenging their leader, unquote. So here we have this quote from McIntosh in which he's saying that the church is fertile breeding ground for budding narcissists. The church attracts narcissistic leaders. And it is not surprising because we are told in the Bible that the, the wheat and the tears will grow together and that they're hard to dis- it is hard to distinguish between what's genuine Christianity and what's not. And it is so difficult that Jesus is saying, don't try to, to 
pluck them out because you might pick out the genuine people with the ones who are narcissists. And so it's important that as we discuss this topic, we highlight the traits so that people can begin to to see what narcissism is really like. So in this show, I'm going to be pointing to, as the title implies, seven traits of narcissistic leader. And as I said before, I will be using the passage from 1 Kings 21, verse 7 to 10, the story about Naboth's garden to discuss this topic. I don't have the, the time here allotted to read the entire, the entire uh, number of verses in that passage, but I'll be quickly giving an outline of what is covered, and I'll be reading certain parts. So in this passage, we see that there was this man by the name of Naboth, and he's called Naboth the the Jezreelite. And he has this garden that King Ahab desires. And King Ahab go to Naboth and say, Naboth, can you sell me your garden? I'll pay you a large sum of money for this garden, even more than what it's worth. And Naboth said to him, I cannot give you this garden the Lord forbid it for me to do so because it was given to me as an inheritance by my fathers. We are told that after this, Ahab, who is the king, became depressed. He went home and he, he, his face became sad and he refused to eat because he, he could not have Naboth's garden. But then the story take a dark twist. We see Jezebel, the wife of Ahab entering in the narrative and things get very dark from there. Jezebel inquired of, of, of Ahab, why are you so sad? And when he explained to her that Naboth had refused to sell him the garden, Ahab got in a rage, I can just imagine, and she said, to him, are you not the king? You are the king. How can you make someone, one of your subjects, refuse to give you their garden? And so she developed this nefarious plot in which she forged Ahab's signature and made a decree that led to, led to, to she forged Ahab's signature and, and developed a plan that led to Naboth being killed and Ahab inheriting his garden. And so this sad story shows the selfishness that is sometimes displayed and the lens to which narcissists can sometimes go to to have what they need. So I think one of the first signs of a narcissist is that of narcissistic leaders is that narcissistic leaders treat people like Pawns. And so Naboth in this story is, is disposable. He's not seen as having feelings. He's seen as being just uh, a, a means to an end. And if, if the narcissist needs to get rid of him, there is no consideration for his pain, for the pain it may cause to his family. And so today in organizations, narcissists will treat people like 
pawns. They don't care if you leave the organization. They will fire you just to show that they have, they can exert power over you. It doesn't matter whether or not you're in the right. Narcissistic leaders doesn't care. Just as in the story, Jezebel didn't care how Naboth felt, didn't care how, how, how murdering him would affect his family. What she wanted was his garden to satisfy the desires of King Ahab, and she took whatever means necessary to have what she needed. And so it's important to see that this is also a modern day trait of narcissistic leaders that they treat people like pawn. But before I come off this point, I would like to point to some interesting uh, things that is happening in the names that are represented in this story. Because we read the story and we jump over the names, but names had meaning in, in biblical times. And so in, in, the, in that chapter, the, the name Jezreel, which, which Nahab lived, is known as Naboth the Jezreelites. So Jezreel is a name that means God will sow. And Naboth means fruits. Ahab means father. And we see that the name, the name Jezebel means where is the prince. And so bear with me here and keep those those meanings in mind. And so if we put those names together, we have a very interesting situation unfolding and a very deeper meaning that we can get from this story. So with those names in mind, what we have unfolding in this story is that we have Naboth reaping the fruit of a garden that God had sown and the seed is going back to his forefathers. God had sown these seeds maybe generations before. And Naboth is reaping from this garden the seeds that God had sown. Remember that Jezreel means God will sow and Naboth means fruit. But then what we see, we have Ahab, which means father, sulking like a child. Because he could not have the garden that he desired, just so that he could eat some herbs. So there is no deep value attached to this. There is no deep meaning behind why why Ahab needed this garden so badly. He just needed a place to plant herbs. Whereas we see that with Naboth, this garden goes back many generations. It's the garden of his forefathers. So we see Ahab, which means father, acting like a child. But the name of Jezebel enters the scene. And Jezebel also, Jezebel means, I should say, Jezebel means, where is the prince? Where is the prince? So Jezebel, a name which means, where is the prince? She comes into the story and she's acting like she is the prince. She's acting like she is the one who is in charge with no concern for the leadership of Ahab. She's forging his signature and she's giving him what he wants and she's she's taking away the thing 
things that God has given to neighbor. She's reaping where she did not sow. She's actually taking the things that God had provided, that God had sowed and has given to Naboth. And so it is in the church today, we see narcissistic leaders doing the very thing. They are taking away from the people of God the things that God has blessed them with. Some of the stories that I hear, people's hearts are broken because they are forced and, and, and coerced into giving beyond their means. They're forced and coerced into even giving away their inheritance to, to some some uh, television evangelists and leaders who makes them feel, if you do not give me that inheritance, God is not going to bless you. So people give out of these companies and they end up being taken advantage of by these narcissistic spiritual leaders who are only after wealth and getting rich. And don't get me wrong, I'm a big believer in giving and I know that there are a lot of genuine pastors out there. So this is not a knock against pastors. This is not a knock against tithing or giving. I'm just saying that the church is not exempt from narcissism leaders and many people have been hurt because they have been treated like pawns to feed the grandiose desires and the grandiose schemes of these narcissistic leaders. Many churches have broken up and falling apart because narcissistic leaders come in and they develop these plans that are way beyond what the church can afford and then they leave these church broke uh, they leave these church uh, bankrupt and they go on to other churches to do the same thing. The second trait of a narcissistic leader is that they require unconditional loyalty. There is one story of a vice president in, in this organization, in this Christian organization, who was loyal for 10 years to the leader. Even when the leader was at fault, he was loyal to this leader. But it got to a point that he disagreed with a course of action that violated his values and, in fact, violated biblical principles. But it didn't matter to the narcissistic leader that this person was loyal for 10 years. He had this person unceremonially fired and thrown out of the organization because he did not agree with this one decision, this one course of action, which wasn't even this big of, of, of a decision in terms of how it would affect the organization. But he demanded unconditional loyalty. If you are with a leader who requires you to say yes all the time and you have to be loyal regardless of what your your values are. If you're being asked to lie even though it goes against your values and if you don't you know that you're going to be be fired or you're going to be demoted, it is possible that you are you are working with a narcissistic leader. The third trait of a narcissistic leader is that the narcissistic leader's opinion supersedes facts. A narcissistic leader cannot afford to be wrong. He has to be right a hundred percent of the time. And 
his opinion supersedes everything else, every fact that exists. So it doesn't matter what the ratings say of his company. He will think that his company is the best. And he will he will he will say it as a fact that we are the number one company or we are the best church in in Ottawa, regardless of how many people are leaving the church because they are fed up with how they are being treated. And so it doesn't matter what your performance is. You could be the best employee of that company or the hardest worker in that church. If the narcissistic leader doesn't like you, his opinion supersedes what you do. So don't be surprised if you are being treated in a way that you feel undervalued and devalued because it's not necessarily based on your performance. It is based on how the narcissistic leader feels about you. His opinion or her opinion supersedes facts. Michael will be right back. You have been listening to the Life Transformation Show where award-winning psychotherapist Michael Hart of Elim Counseling Services has been speaking on the topic, Seven Traits of Narcissistic Leaders. You can find out more about us at elimcounselingministry.com. Elim is spelled E-L-I-M, counseling with two L's, ministry.com, where you can also make a donation to this Christ-centered ministry. Back to Michael. The portrait of narcissistic leaders is that narcissistic leaders feel threatened by the success of their subordinates. So in a, in, in a healthy work environment, the leader thrives on the success of the, of the subordinates. The leader knows that if my subordinates succeed and do well at what they're doing, then I am being lifted up. The organization is benefiting as a result of that of that performance. But for a narcissistic leader, they feel threatened if you are in the limelight. If you're getting accolades for your success, they become threatened. And we see an example of this in scripture. It's the story of King David and and I should say he wasn't king at the time. It's the story between David and the king Saul. And so what happened in the story after David had this tremendous victory over Goliath and he he, he conquered this giant that was humiliating the entire army of, of Israel. This one man, David, took on Goliath. And, and and succeeded in in the fight that ensued and as a result we are told that the women of the city started singing this song that praised David and the song said Saul king killed thousands but David killed ten thousands and when Saul heard that Saul was way past his fighting days. He, he by now was in this position where he's, he's like the CEO of, of the company, he's the, he's the head of, of, the, of the nation, and he has this army fighting for him. But it doesn't matter. He is hurt 
to hear that people are singing songs about King about David. And so he tried to get David killed. And this 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 anger that he developed towards David was the the, the beginning of his downfall. And so it is today that people who are narcissistic leaders they they have this sense of this deep insecurity at their core despite the fact that they might act bigger than life despite the fact that they may require you to praise them and they be, and they behave as if they're very confident at the core of their being is this very deep burning insecurity that makes them incapable of hearing anyone else in the organization being praised or or being successful. And as a result, they end up sabotaging themselves. Wouldn't it be a better strategy for, for, for King Saul to say, I am way past my fighting days. This man, this, this, this warrior David, he's a skilled fighter. Let me promote him. Let me support him. Let me give him everything he wants because his success is my success. His success is the success of the nation. That would have been a better strategy. But in Instead, King Saul sabotaged himself because of his insecurity. And so it is today, there are many churches who are not living up to their full potential because the leaders are, the the narcissistic leaders are insecure and they cannot allow people in the congregation to exercise their talent because if that talent is exercised, it's going to put others in the limelight and they don't want that. And so they burn out themselves because they have to do everything. They have to be in the limelight all the time. They have to do everything. And so they end up sabotaging themselves. They end up burning themselves out, they end up uh, not benefiting their congregation with the talent that exists within it because they feel threatened by the success of their subordinates. And the fifth, the fifth sign of our trait of a narcissistic leader is this inflated sense of self-importance. And we see this in the story of Haman in the book of Esther, where Haman at this this grandiose view of himself where he, he thought that he deserved to be paraded through the city on, on the king's horse and in the king's robe. And he thought so highly of himself that, that he was offended that Mordecai would not bow down to him. And as a result of that, he dug his own grave. He ended up acting in ways that ended up causing his demise. If you have missed our show, Him and the Father of Narcissus, it, it's, you could listen to the full breakdown of how we explain narcissism using that text. But Haman is also a good example of a leader who had this inflated sense of self-importance. He, he thought to himself that he deserved to be worshipped by everyone and so it is that in in 
in church circles and and in in leadership situations where you have narcissistic leaders, they have this inflated sense of their self-importance. They will say things like, if it wasn't for me, this organization would fall apart, or I do everything around here, when in truth and in fact they do very little, when in truth and in fact they have pillars of those organizations that are holding it together that they are not recognizing, but their inflated sense of self-importance make them take all the praise for themselves. And they speak in the sense, in, in, in terms of I. If, if you hear them talk about the success of the organization or the success of the church, you would think that they do everything and no one else did anything. So this is because the inflated self of self-importance. And the sixth sign of a narcissistic leader is that his action or her actions are always self-serving. It's not about the organization. It's not about the in, it's not a, it's not about the, the the advancement of the organization. It's about their self promotion. It is about making themselves bigger than life. It's about feeling as if they are they are the one to be worshipped by everyone else. And so this trait also leads to their demise because as a result of the, the self-serving action, they, they end up sabotaging the, the organization and sabotaging the efforts of those around them. And the seventh point of a, the seventh trait of a narcissistic leader is that a narcissistic leader lacks integrity. And so we see this in in the story of of Ahab and and Jezebel in 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 the story about how they got out Jezebel got Naboth's garden we see that the a frightening lack of integrity where Jezebel forged her husband's signature to have Naboth killed so she could have his garden there was no sense of right and wrong there was no sense of of morality in how Jezebel acted. She just wanted to have what she wanted, what her husband wanted, and she spared no means in getting it. There was no integrity that kept her from acting in that very overt, selfish way. We also see this in the story of King Saul and and the when King Saul went to to the witch in that King Saul lost his moral integrity. King Saul ended up acting in ways that he had forbidden people to act by seeking a medium to advise him on whether or not he would win a battle. So he made this decree that it was wrong to do so. It was wrong to to go to mediums. And then when he was in a crisis, he went to the to the witch of Endor. And so we see that he was rebuked by God for doing this. But King Saul's action showed that there was a frightening lack of integrity in how he acted. And so, so there you have it, these seven traits of narcissistic leaders. And there is this author by the name of, sorry, this professor by the name of Charles O'Reilly, and he's at the management at Stanford Graduate School. And he said, and I quote, he said, 
There are leaders who may be absolute jerks but aren't really narcissists. And then he goes on to say this, the, the distinction is what motivates them. Are they driven to achieve some larger purpose? Do they really want to make the company or the, or the country better or accomplish some some crazy goal like making electric cars or, or colonizing Mars along the way? Or is it really all about their own? own aggrandizement and that's the distinction that's the motive of narcissistic leaders it's really about themselves so there you have it the seven traits of narcissistic leaders also want to remind you that we are a not-for-profit organization that depend on your donation to stay on the air we are going through trying times with all that's happening in the economy so if you haven't yet made a contribution to this ministry please consider doing so by going to our website at elimcounselingministry.com. Elim is spelled E-L-I-M, counseling with two L's, ministry.com. You can also donate through our Patreon page at patreon.com slash elimcounseling. So until next time, this is your host, Michael Hart of Elim Counseling Services, praying that God would bless you in all your relationships and keep you sound in mind and pure in heart. 